Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Let's just take a moment and just savor those thoughts. Emmanuel, God dwells with us. And that means that right now, in all the chaos in the world, the Lord is right here in this room with us right now, with you and me. And I believe with his loving heart, he's looking at us to see if what we've just heard and sung, whether our lips or our, our heart, if we really do mean what we just sung about, that he is everything. Let's pray, shall we? Father, I do thank you that you have chosen in our sinfulness to still dwell amongst us here. And then, Father, 2,000 years ago to take our sin upon yourself. Die on that cross and give to us as a free gift eternal life. And then, Father, as you were resurrected off the earth, you still sent your comforter, the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I know that right now that you are in our midst and we're going to depend upon your spirit now to enlighten us through what we're going to learn about you, instruct us, empower us, and with your gentle mercy, convict us if we're not where we should be. Now, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. An ancient Hasidic parable tells the story of a young little boy by the name of Yahel. I know that sounds funny, but in Hebrew, you kind of have to use it down here. But anyway, this young little Jewish lad was out with his friend one day, and they were going to play a game called hide-and-seek. And so the little lad, Yachael, went out, and he found a wonderful place to hide, probably the greatest place in that little outdoors where he could hide. And so he waited and waited and waited for his friend to find him. And in fact, he got a little impatient. He waited many hours. But what he found out, though, that his friend never did go looking for him. In fact, just went on home and left him there. So the little Rachael ran home in tears, as perhaps our own little boys would do if he was abandoned out there in a field playing a game like that. And he ran to his grandfather's house. And when he was there, the rabbi was looking at his grandson and said, What's the matter? And the boy said, I went out to play and I hid, but he did not come find me. And so with tears down his face, the rabbi looked at his grandson, deeply moved by what he just heard. And he said this, God says the same thing. I hide and no one tries to find me. I hide and no one seems to want to find me. Now, for most of us who are Christian, we have the thinking that, well, no, God is making himself known to everybody. He wants them all to find him. Well, sometimes we think as a 21st century Gentile or a non-Jew, we might say. But if you go back to Scripture, often you find that, yes, the Lord wants to reveal himself, but he wants to reveal himself to those who want to seek him, like prophets and priests and other people in the Old Testament. And whether or not you embrace that totally, the point of the matter is still this. The Lord is wanting to reveal himself to those who really seek him. And with that in mind as a backdrop, it might help you to follow along in the message that I'm going to be giving to all of us today. It really impacted me so much, and I pray that it'll be a blessing to you as it was to me. So let me tell you the background of what we're going to learn about a parent's most important instruction to their kids. 
The backdrop is something like this. The greatest king that Israel had ever known, the great king because he was a great military man and a great politician and how he united the kingdoms and did a whole bunch of stuff to bring great victory to the Jewish nation. He wanted then to honor the Lord by building the Lord a huge worship center, uh, a temple, the Bible would say, but we would kind of see it maybe as a worship center. More than just a building, every little part of that temple had significance. So he planned it all out, got excited, and he knew that he could build that temple. When he was about ready to begin doing this God-honoring thing, the Lord then chose to speak to him and said, David, you cannot build this temple. This worship center is for me, and you with your life, because of your wars and battles, have shed too much blood, and I need to distance you building of this temple from me in this temple. I need to put some separation there. Well, you can imagine here is this great warrior wanting to do something to honor the Lord. And sometimes people, as they get a little bit older, they begin to mask that just a little bit. I don't know that he did, but I do know this, that as he was now talking to the Jewish nation, particularly the leaders and his young son, Solomon, was present. He then went over a litany of special things that the Lord has identified in David's life. Very simply this that out of all of the tribes, God would choose David to be king. And then he would then choose David's son, Solomon, to be king. And then he would say to Solomon that you get a chance to build this temple and that your kingdom, my son, his kingdom will last forever if he will with humble submission obey seriously and completely every one of my commands. So he spoke that to all of the leaders at that particular time. And then he spoke to the leaders this. He said, now to you, that you would live wholeheartedly for the Lord in service, in obedience. And then the passage for today, he kind of takes his attention off the whole Jewish nation, over the leaders. And now he has this very, perhaps passionate and touching message to his son Solomon. And I'll read that to you in a moment. But I want to set the stage for some of us so you don't think this is just a history lesson and it becomes dusty and old. It's very, very real because what God said in the Bible in those days is very much real for us today, particularly what we're going to read in a moment. But for those of us now that are at a stage in our life, some of you might be thinking about passing the mantle of uncompletedness of your own life down to your kids. I know that we're listened to all over the world through our radio or the MP3 stuff, downloads. But some of you might be thinking about turning your business over to them. You might be thinking about what you want to share with them to take your legacy. You want to leave your legacy with your child to the next generation. It could be a dad to a son. Some of you dads could step up to the plate right now and listen. What would be the most important instruction that a dad could give to a son? And some of you that are in a single family home, you might be thinking, oh no, am I left out? No, this instruction will work for you. The most important instruction that you can give, in a sense, to the next generation leader. Now one more thing. David was the greatest king that Israel had ever known. Solomon was the wisest man this world would ever know. So what would the greatest king have to say to the wisest man that we might be able to eavesdrop and embrace for our own life? And we're going to hear that. 
So if you'd like to, you can take out your little outline I have for you, look at it, and on the front part of it, you're going to see the passage I just described. But look now for the bold print, and I'm going to read that to you, and follow along as you have an opportunity to hear, what did David the dad say to Solomon the son that we could enjoy for ourselves as a passing instruction to our kids? And here's what he says. And Solomon, my son, get to know the God of your ancestors. Worship and serve him with your whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and understands and knows every plan and thought. If you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. The Lord has chosen you to build a temple as his sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Well, this verse, this passage that we have just read, it talks a lot about how do I seek the Lord and how do I get to know the Lord and how should I respond in a way that I can bring them both together to honor him. And what I'd like to do is to submit to you from this small passage four tremendous instructions that you can leave to your kids or grandkids for the next generation. Here's the first one. It's to seek the Lord. Look at the verse again and here's what you'll read. It says, if you seek him, you will find him. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. So take this seriously. Maybe an illustration might help you understand a little bit about seeking. First of all, as a question, have you ever been around as a parent and somehow your child has gotten away from you and you lost your child? Occasionally, at, when I'm down at Waikiki working with some of the beach boys down there, I've seen this happen one time. It's the most horrifying, scary thing is when a mom and a dad are running up and down the beach looking into the water for a lost child trying to find the child. Now for you moms where you're really bleeding right now over that, the time that I'd seen it, the child was found. Maybe some of you have lost a car in a parking lot and you couldn't find it. Come up for air there. How many of you have lost a pet maybe? You know that Carol's out of town and my wife dearly loves pets and I guess I'm one of her pets, but she lost one time one of her cats. And uh, by the way, most of you asked when you knew Carol was out, <clears throat> not how I was doing, but how's your pets doing? How's your cats doing? I can't figure that out. But we had one cat by the name of Chloe. And for those of you that are new, Chloe basically means rascal. And this little rascal cat, somehow we slid open the back screen door and it jumped out on the lanai, jumped down and ran away. Well, my wife was horrified because our cats are to be kept inside and she's afraid the cat will never come back. We moved into this house and hadn't acclimated yet. So Carol and I are frantically about four in the afternoon going up and down Kele Aloy, that's our street that we live on. Here, Chloe. All we did is to excite every dog in our neighborhood. <laughs> Growling, barking. I'm thinking this cat now is just hiding in some little hole somewhere in the side of Kuliolo there, you know? And we're looking for it. The neighbors are coming out because we're doing everything we can. Carol is trying to bring and find this cat. We're walking up the mountains. We're crawling under houses. I think I'm going to get shot. She then gets in the car and she drives a half a mile away. And I'm thinking this cat couldn't have gotten that far away. Now it's getting to be dark and Carol is really afraid. This is not a made-up story. This is really true. 
And so Carol is really sad, but she knows it belongs to God, what's going to happen. So we come home. She says, I have an idea. I'm going to put food in a bowl and bang that bowl and put it outside. And that cat will come. Nope, cat didn't do anything. Now it's dinner time. And of course, Carol can't eat until her child is home, you know. So we're looking at this thing and the cat wouldn't come. And just for a moment, we gazed away. And sure enough, here comes Chloe at the back screen door. And we opened that door and that cat just dove right into the house. But I could tell you, Carol was pretty sad, pretty scared. And any of you who love your pet and your pet gets gone, you know what that's like. Now let me tell you a second story. Another true story from a lady by the name of Florence. She was a lady very much like you and me. But perhaps a little bit more addicted to shopping. So she went to the shopping mall like we have here. And she shopped all day, and by the time she got home, or got home, got to her car, she couldn't find her car. She did everything she could. She took out her keys and, you know, did one of these numbers to see if the door would unlock and it would beep and all that kind of stuff. Couldn't find it. This is a true story. She even got the park security to take her around in those little golf carts looking for her car. They waited until the place closed down and there was only a few cars left in the lot, on the lot. Her car wasn't there. So she called the police and she made a police report and after a few weeks the car did not show up and so finally she applied to the insurance company and the insurance company then gave her the money for the car because the car was stolen, it was gone. She went out and she bought a brand new car. She was so excited. She came home one day after driving her new car and there was a message and the message was from the auto repair shop wanting to know when she was going to pick up her car. She forgot that she had taken her car in. This is a true story. Now we're all chuckling because we're thinking that'll never happen to me. I don't know, the older I get, the more I'm convinced it will happen to me. But here's how I take those two illustrations about seeking the Lord. Carol was seeking, 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 seeking for this cat, constantly looking, doing everything she can to make sure that she would have a continued relationship with this cat. The other lady took about six or seven hours and basically gave up and redirected her life and went on without that car. Now, I'm not dis-talking that lady. But the two illustrations are, is one kept looking and wanting, and that cat showed up. The other one kind of redirected and went on with life. I'm wondering, cat is nothing compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. And a car is nothing to Christ. But the concept of looking and searching can be very much the same. Would we fit into the camp that we are always looking for the Lord? We see Him in the Word. We see Him out in life. We want to be so close to Him. We want to notice the moment that we got, re, we got distracted and we, we lost a little bit of the presence of His power in our life. Or are we the kind that we just kind of do the things outwardly, but He's not here, so we'll just replace Him with something else. Just as good, just like Him, but not Him. And I'm wondering if we're like that. And that's why this Jewish statement where I look for Him, Is he hiding? Well, he's not hiding from you, folks. He wants to be found by you. But it takes someone that seeks. So some of you that are new are going to say, well, how do you seek God? How do you do this? In the New Testament passage about which we sung this morning was to love him with all of our heart, soul, and mind. I think often equating seeking and loving are very close together. So we ought to seek him with all of our heart. And that would be that first line there, to seek Him with all of our heart. Now when we seek Him with our heart, I want you to know that our heart is a little bit more than just a a pumping organ in Scripture. 
The heart in scripture really talks about a place where we might have the conscious decision. Some people even equate it to our mind, and yet often we see the word heart and mind separated. So there is a little bit different from that. But it is a decision-making part of our life that we choose to want to seek God. Now think about that for a moment. Do we seek Him in a catastrophe, an accident, a health issue? Or do we seek Him because we need Him? One person said that if we really fear the Lord, it's because we realize we need Him moment by moment by moment. The second word besides seeking the Lord with your heart would be to seek Him with your soul. Often the soul in Scripture is referred to as your whole life, your whole being, your seat of your emotions. That's what makes you you, you, so to speak. You seek Him with every ounce of your being, with your soul. There's an intimacy there. And then do you seek Him with your mind, my heart, my soul, my mind? I am so glad that in the balance of the way God has wired us, He reminded us that we are compartmentalized. Some of us are in the compartment of emotions that we really see things from an emotional point of view and that is not a slam. That is the way we're wired. That's part of our personality. Even Jesus had emotions. He was angry once. He wept once. But it's not only emotions. There's also a time of righteous, balanced, accurate, correct, logical thinking. And they both kind of work together, not against each other. And so for us, if we seek the Lord, my question to you is this. Are you really seeking the Lord of the Bible? And so here's a suggestion. And that would be that while I'm grateful that you're here every Sunday and you're in your connection groups and you're studying, do you have a personal time with God where you seek Him? Do you really seek Him with your mind? I would encourage you to get involved in a connection group. Get involved in the Sunday school class. Get yourself a new Bible. I had a, a wonderful couple come up to me this morning. This is a fresh example. She showed me, or they both showed me, a Chinese Bible that was now a beautiful reference Bible, just like we have in English. And while I'm preaching, that Chinese Bible is open on her lap right now as she's following along in her language. She wants to know the book. She's seeking truth. She's seeking the Lord. Another thing you might do is perhaps take a Bible Institute class. Maybe go online and find out an online Bible college or seminary. If some of you are thinking, I need to begin a family library. Pastor, what books would help me to seek the God of the Bible? Now, I know this is very practical, but let me just share these. One, get yourself a good study Bible. One that has some good notes in it, cross-references in it, maps in it. Secondly, get yourself a concordance. So if you don't know where a verse is, you can then look it up and find out where it would be. Get yourself a Bible dictionary and maybe a one single volume commentary on the Bible. Now this is a beginner's Bible, a beginner's library, but I would begin there. So we want to seek Him with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Here's number two. David tells his son, not only do you want to seek him, but you also want to know him. And so he says, Solomon, my son, get to know the God of your ancestors or the God of your fathers. I thought that was quite interesting. 
Because it's an admonition is to know God, but to know him intimately and personally. There are a lot of people that can know a lot about God, and I caution the men when we study our theology that we just don't know theology because it could become dead orthodoxy. We want to have sound intimacy with the Lord based on orthodoxy, but it will not be dead if we seek God. And that's how we get to know him. So my question to you dads would be this. If you know the command for your son or daughter is to know the Lord and know the God of your fathers. If I was to ask your kids, do they know your God? And what are you doing to teach them your God? Is God real to you? Or is it possible that your child is getting his perception and doctrine of God from others and not from you? The only person that would have the most influence on that child correctly for God that you can control, watch this, is going to be you. And therefore, dads, this is a time for your heart to beat after the heartbeat of God for your kids. It's interesting because you have David here. He knew that his young boy Solomon probably watched him as he would pray, as he would praise, as he would seek God, as he lived for the Lord, as he was a man of great courage, and how he even ran the kingdom based upon the godly principles that David knew. So Solomon as the boy was actually learning about God by observing dad. Sometimes it is more caught than taught. So besides knowing the Lord, he goes a little bit further now. And he says you need to worship the Lord. I think that's important too because that brings us back into I seek the Lord, I know the Lord, but now I'm going to demonstrate my love for the Lord. So he says worship him with your whole heart and with your willing mind. For the Lord sees every heart and understands and knows every thought and every plan that we have. You might want to take your pen now if you have it out. And why don't you take a moment and circle the phrase simply, whole heart, and then circle the phrase, willing mind. So it comes with a heart and a willing mind. In other words, God knows your motives, so he says, I want you to do it now with a willing mind. Willing to do what? Willing to seek the Lord. Willing to know the Lord. Willing to worship the Lord. It's beautiful how that when I seek the Lord... The more I seek the Lord, the more I'll know of the Lord. Watch this. The more I know of the Lord, the more I seek the Lord. Are you traveling in your mind with me? If you're not, maybe I'll put it into a very practical thing. Sometimes uh, when I'm at your house for, for dinner and you make a wonderful dessert and it's so good, it tastes so good, I usually say something like this. My, this is really good. And you know what the response is? Would you like some more? And my answer is, whoa, 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 well, yes, you know. You see what happened is, once I knew that dessert, it was so good, I sought more dessert. And so then I say, you can have the dessert again next time I come? The point still being, it's not about dessert. It's about the Lord. Sometimes I wonder in my own life that when I seek wanting to seek the Lord, 
I have then chosen to allow the world to steal my attention away from knowing God. The more I'm in the book, the more I want to know. The more I want to know, the more I want to seek. A.W. Tozier said this, What I'm anxious to see in Christian believers is a beautiful paradox. I want to see them with the joy of finding God, while at the same time, they are blessedly pursuing Him. I want to see in them the great joy of having God, yet always wanting God. What a beautiful, beautiful balance. I want to worship the Lord with a whole heart and a willing mind because He understands my thoughts. Here's number four. These are not huge commands, but these are essential, non-negotiable. Son, I want you to seek Him. I want you to know Him. I want you to worship Him. But He also says, I want you to serve Him. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Make it clear.